Reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he, is, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so prove to me my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Mark Twain, the American humorist and author, has often been quoted as saying, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me, it's the parts I do understand. Now, Mark Twain was, of course, an atheist, so probably most of the Bible was very problematic for him. But I think we, too, sometimes find the parts that we do understand every bit as troublesome or maybe more so than the passages that we say, well, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't get it. I don't know what God is trying to say there. When I was in a young people's group many years ago, we were all constantly encouraged to seek God's will for our lives. And that wasn't a bad thing. It taught us a certain way of looking at our lives and looking at the world and understanding God's desire for us, and that was all very good. But in that particular setting, God's will was usually portrayed to us as sort of an elusive thing, kind of God's hidden agenda for each one of us that we had to try to discover what are we supposed to do with our lives? What are we supposed to do with any particular circumstance that may come along? What is God's will for me today? And then along comes 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, where the Apostle Paul wrote, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's for me, that's for you, that is for everyone who goes by the name Christian. Of course, you know this passage, you hear it often enough at the end of our Sunday services. But it's troublesome in some ways. This is the will of God in Christ. 
for you. So we're to rejoice always. That's God's will. Whatever we're going through, even if we find those things to be difficult, we are to rejoice. We are to give thanks in all circumstances. Again, something that many of us find difficult. We are to pray without ceasing. Someone has asked me, or many people have asked me in the past, actually, well, how often can we pray? How much time can we spend? Like, I don't know, practically speaking, but I do know that Scripture says pray without ceasing. This is God's will. So now we don't have to seek God's will anymore. We know at least part of it, and it's important that we actually be living out that part of it if we want God to reveal other things to us. We don't have to seek for it. We just have to do it. And again, that's bothersome in some ways because actually, as long as we could be seeking for the will of God, there wouldn't be all that much doing involved. But here it is in black and white. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I could just end and say, this is the word of the Lord. Go in peace. But I think maybe we're a little bit like Mark Twain, after all, even though we're not atheists. It ain't the parts of the Bible we don't understand that bother us. We can always get a pass on those parts. It's the parts that we do. I think the same sort of logic applies to that magnificent first question and answer in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. We are asked, what is the chief end of man? And we are taught to reply, man's chief end is to glorify God. And that's great, because if we never move beyond that answer to the rest of the catechism, never mind to the word of God then we could spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out or trying to make up how it is that we're going to glorify God. And kind of like looking for his will, as long as we're supposedly busy trying to figure out how we're going to glorify him, it won't make too much difference whether or not we actually do. And then along comes Jesus. In the text that Joy Lane read for us just a few minutes ago, John 15, verse 8. And he deprives us of that opportunity to spend any time at all saying, well, how do we glorify? That's neat. How do we glorify God, though? What are we to do? Jesus comes along and he says, by this, my Father is glorified. So wait a minute. Here it is, again, in black and white. How are we to glorify God? Well, you might want to take out a pencil and jot this down. This is the word of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And if you're thinking, okay, but fruit, that's, that's a little ambiguous because I'm not a tree. Um, so now we can keep on. He's about to answer that question, too. Because by fruit, we don't mean literal fruit. The whole passage is kind of an extended metaphor. We started with the words, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And a little later came to verse 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Given then that we are not literal branches on a literal vine, then there's something to be discovered here. And it's not 
apples versus pears or even red grapes versus white grapes. We are being confronted here with a passage of scripture that speaks very practically and very particularly to how we are to live. We're confronted with a passage of scripture that doesn't leave us wondering about this relatively vague concept of how are we to glorify God. Well, again, man's chief end, right? That's nice. But how? Here in John 15, Jesus just tells us flat out, you were saved from something. That's absolutely true. But you were also saved to something. And let me assure you, you were not saved from the penalty of sin so that you could just go ahead and live life however you want to, enjoy yourself, and not face eternal condemnation at the end of the road. There's a current notion about grace that kind of runs in that direction. Well, we're saved by grace, so we can just do whatever we want. But in point of fact, that's not true. In point of fact, you were created and you were saved to bear fruit. And that's kind of the point of a vine and a vineyard, isn't it? We know this. I'm sure I've used this illustration before, but when Linda and I lived out at Burdett, we lived across the road from a, a field, which was at various times pasture land, and at various times it was cultivated. When it was pasture, it was especially fun, because every now and then um, you'd look out the front window of the house, and there was one cow standing, just staring across the road at the parsonage. And then you'd come back a few minutes later, and there'd be two or three. And you'd come back a little while after that, and there'd be 25 cows just lined up the fence, staring. And I used to take pictures and send out texts saying, ever get that feeling like you're being watched? Because we are. But when it was cultivated, they planted canola. And canola is just such a beautiful crop. When it would blossom later in the season, it would be just like this field of gold stretching as far as we could see out to the horizon, and we loved it. But it wasn't planted so that we could enjoy the flowers. It wasn't planted so that anybody could enjoy the flowers. The flowers are just part of a life cycle of the plant, and the plant was put in the ground so that it would produce a crop, and then having produced a crop, it would produce an income. And vineyards are like that too. Some of them are the most beautiful places. I've been to some in Northern California. Maybe some of you have been to some in Europe. They are gorgeous. Kind of places that you can just go and enjoy the ambiance, especially if somebody is willing to let you sample the merchandise. But a vineyard is not planted to be a beautiful place for a wedding or for a vacation. A vineyard is planted to produce a crop and to provide an income. Branches on a vine are meant to bear fruit. That's what they're for. And so in this metaphor that Jesus is proclaiming here in John 15, that's what we're for. We are meant to bear fruit. So much so that Jesus said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. A little later, he says, they are gathered up and they are thrown into the fire to be burned. Now, there is a kinder, gentler interpretation of that out there today. 
And, and it's probably true now. People write books and they say, well, that's not what a vine dresser does with a vine today. And true. Jesus spoke these words 2,000 years ago, though, and that is what the vine dresser did with the branches in those days. Current wisdom, though, holds that if a branch is not bearing fruit, the vine dresser does not immediately take it away. First, he lifts it up, which is one possible translation for that Greek verb, and he gets it, he cleans the dirt off, and he gets it where it can receive the sunshine and everything else that it needs to bear fruit. Well, okay, that kind of resonates with the very next line. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And also with verse 3 in our text, already you are clean. You've been lifted up out of the dirt. You've been washed off. You've been put into the sunshine because of the word that I have spoken to you. So good. God does not leave us in the dirt and shadow of sin. He lifts us up. He cleanses us by the word that he speaks to us. He deals with us tenderly and carefully as a good vine dresser who is concerned for the health of the vine because of the crop that he wants to receive or as a father who has compassion for his children. Still, he does that for a purpose. He lifts us up so that we might bear fruit, because bearing fruit is how we glorify God. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. He lifts us up, and he cleanses us by the word that he has spoken good. That's what Jesus does. And then Jesus kind of turns the table. He shifts the nature of the metaphor again because he doesn't want us to merely focus on what God has done. He wants us to focus on God's will for our lives. So he goes on in verse 4 to say, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. As I said, the metaphor has changed now because a vine dresser would never think of going into the vineyard and commanding the branches to abide in the vine any more than those farmers out at Burdett would walk out into the middle of the field and command the crop to bear fruit. But there's something more going on here because while the relationship between us and Jesus can be compared to a vine with its branches, we are human beings, human beings who have been created in the image of God and redeemed into that image again, and we have something to do here, and it boils down to this, abide in me, abide in Christ. And it's pretty simple stuff, really. It's about remaining in or remaining connected to Christ because if we do abide in him, if we do remain in him, we will not only bear some fruit. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. It's not just some fruit or a little fruit, much fruit. But again, how? How are we to abide in Christ? Well, watch the progression through the passage. Watch how Jesus builds this illustration. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word 
that I have spoken to you. And this, by the way, is a theme in Scripture. The Apostle Peter, who was there on the occasion when Jesus spoke these words in John 15, would later write, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You've been born again through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word, this living, abiding word of God through which we have been born again is the good news that was preached to you. Paul as well in the book of Ephesians wrote of how Christ gave himself up for the church that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. In fact, you've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. And Jesus spoke this living and abiding word so that he might cleanse his bride, the church. Through the word proclaimed and through the word demonstrated in the sacrament of baptism, we have been made clean. But as I said earlier, you were saved from something. You were also saved to something. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. But the washing of regeneration with the word is only the beginning. And verses 7 and 8 carry the theme a step farther. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And again, before we get distracted by that, ask whatever you wish. Focus on the condition that sets the stage for that promise. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, the living word of God abides within us. We're already clean through the word that Christ has spoken. Now we're told that we need more. We need to abide in Christ and more still, his word has to abide in us. And this is not two separate things. We don't get to plead, well, I am abiding in Christ. I haven't got to the point where his word abides in me yet. If you're abiding in Christ, his word must abide in you. And if his word abides in you, then you will be abiding in him. Abiding in Christ means that we abide in his word and we allow his word. We encourage his word. We seek out that state where his word abides in us. We are to abide in Christ. His word is to abide in us. And verse 9 adds yet another aspect. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And doesn't that sound delightful? Who wouldn't, who wouldn't want? We don't even need to be commanded that, right? Abide in my love. Who wouldn't want to abide in Christ's love? But here's the thing, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
And so suddenly this aspect of abide in my love may not have quite the same appeal. Because I know people, especially these days, and oddly enough, I'm going to cite some references that are not these days, they're from these days 40 years ago. But um, people talk about God's unconditional love. Books have had that title. Let me just point out to you that is not a biblical term. There is nowhere <laughs> in Scripture that talks about God's unconditional love or his reckless love as far as that goes. But we like this stuff. He cannot love more and will not love less, one song said. Love wins was the title of a book. And some other sage said, all you need is love. None of those quotes, by the way, come from the Bible. Not a single one. But this, what's up on the screen there, that's the word of Christ. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is the word of the gospel. We cannot be made clean by keeping his commandments. We cannot be saved by the good that we do. But having been saved, having been made clean, if we want to abide in the love of Christ, then we have to let his word abide in us to such an extent that we actually keep his commands. To abide in him is to abide in his word and to let his word abide in us as we keep the commandments that we find there. It's really that simple. Abiding in Jesus is a matter of knowing him and following him. This is the secret which is no secret. This is a key to a door that was never meant to be locked. It's one of those simple principles of God's will for our lives that we find disturbing not because we don't know what it means, but because we do. Because Jesus is here connecting our obedience that flows from faith in him to the love in which he calls us to abide. And he's saying, if you abide in my, or if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Turns out, if you want to be a Christian, that's part of it. It shouldn't surprise us if you want to be a really great soccer player, which is probably beyond most of us at this point, but not all. If you want to be a really great soccer player, you're going to have to abide on the practice field. And not only that, you're going to have to listen to the coach. The same in a gym. If you want to be a great basketball player, to look at me now, you would never know this, but... Thanks. Thanks so much. I appreciate your, your support. Back in the day, I, I, used to be, I used to be a really good swimmer. I mean, I, I was really, really good. And to get that way, I pretty much lived in a pool or a lake. And I listened to my coaches and my teachers. And I did what they told me to do because I wanted to be a great swimmer. So this principle of abiding, it's no secret. A hardworking farmer is the guy who spends time out in his field, not the guy who sits in his basement playing Call of Duty. 
the good teacher is actually that person who spends time in the classroom or in the pulpit or wherever actually teaching his or her students. And if we would bear fruit for God, which is actually the purpose for which God saved us, then we're going to have to spend time abiding in the word of Christ. And another word for that would be abiding in the Bible. There's no shortcut. You can't skip the book and catch the movie. That show that's out there now, The Chosen, and a few years ago it was the Bible and A.D., the story continues. They may be a whole lot better than some of the other stuff. And I would like to use a stronger word, but we're in church that's on television. But they aren't the word of God. There's some online that have, like, the Gospels dramatized. And you can watch the Gospel of Mark, and it's a word-for-word rendition, but with the drama, with the people acting it out. That is still not the Word of God. It is more than the Word of God. If you want to know what the Gospel of Mark says, get out your Bible or turn on the app on your phone and read, hear, listen, memorize, meditate, study the words God's revelation comes to us in words. Don't even get me started on some of Hollywood's other so-called biblical epics. There's no shortcut. You just have to open the word of God and let it soak in until it abides in you. And the choices you make, the decisions you make, are being guided by the word of God being guided by the scriptures, abiding in Christ such that his word abides in us is the only way. It's the only way for our prayer. And this came up a little bit earlier in the chapter. It comes up a little bit later in the chapter as well, that ask what you wish, and it will be done for you. Well, that's if you abide in Christ and his word abides in you in such a way that your prayer is shaped by the word and by the will of God, and then you can have confidence that he hears and answers. It's the only way to be assured that the fruit that we bear to the glory of God is real fruit. By the way, if you've been wondering, what is the fruit that we bear to the glory of God? Okay, chapter 14, verse 27, peace. I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Chapter 15, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And chapter 15, verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So love, joy, peace. There's a bunch more too. But John deals with all of those in this immediate context. When he talks about bearing fruit to the glory of God, he is talking about bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit abiding in our lives. The fruit that we bear to the glory of God as chosen branches on his chosen vine is the fruit that he himself produces in us by his Holy Spirit as we abide in him and his words, his commands abide in us. And that is the fruit that glorifies God and it is the fruit that will abide. Once more then, in the words of Jesus himself, 
if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. In these words spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ and written down by the Apostle John so long ago, that just touch our lives where we are this very day. Let us hear your call to abide in you, to let your word abide in us. And Father, to be faithful to keep and observe those words, that we may abide in your love and bear much fruit to your glory and that that fruit may remain. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. <clears throat> 